edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that has dreams of becoming a Las Vegas lounge singer when it grows up. Dankeschön, darling, Dankeschön. Say those lies, darling, don't explain. Greetings, I am your host, Wayne Newton. With me, as always, is my co-host with the most, my main man, Mr. Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, how do you do when you do what you do, sir? You know, I think you're referring to one song, but what that makes me think of is that UB40 song, uh, The Way You Do the Things You Do. God, I love that song, and I love UB40. Anyway, it's going good on my end over here. Keeping busy. Lots of good stuff. Excellent. As always, we'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, a full plate. In politics, your host feels we've become a broken record on Dunleavy and Bronson's recklessness and ignorance, so we're going to take a different tone and remind you that among all the chaos, state and local governments still need to work. In life, Maya Nolan Partnow has some last-minute Halloween costumes for you to consider. In entertainment, we share a book that details the migration of 6 million black Americans fleeing the South from 1920 to 1970 that includes both heartwarming and heartbreaking stories of what is called the Great Migration. And finally, in closing comments, we check in on the race for the United States Senate and discover that Kelly Shabaka is weaving more tales of fantasy. First, she told us it was a legal fishing license. And now she tells us a ridiculous homeless to Harvard story. Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what else is going to come out of that carpet bag that Kelly Shabaka brings with her. The same carpet bag that Alaska taxpayers paid $81,000 to ship to this wonderful state of ours. Up, oh, what's that sound? There's our ride. So let's hop in. Talk some politics. Politics. And now for some politics. In politics, ladies and gentlemen, it's the same song, just a different verse. Your host feels like we have been trapped in a constant feedback loop together. Every week, it's the same thing, only worse. We're like on a hamster wheel of bad news. Every week, we seem to talk about the ridiculous and harmful actions executed by both Governor Mike Dunleavy and Mayor Dave Bronson. For instance, last week, Governor Dunleavy, at a time Alaska has stubbornly low vaccination rates and stubbornly high new cases of COVID, Governor Dunleavy tweets an invite to unvaccinated outside law enforcement to come to Alaska to apply for work. Meanwhile, this past week, Mayor Bronson was sued after he improperly fired the city's real estate director in order to give the job to an unqualified campaign supporter. The lawsuit names both Bronson and his director of economic and community development, Adam Trombley. The lawsuit alleges Trombley told the director that a replacement was hired because it was a campaign promise. Hey, Adam, you said the quiet part out loud. And yo, now you've been served, bro! So it seems things just never get a rest with Dunleavy and Bronson. Absurdity never takes a day off. 
Personally speaking, commenting weekly on both Dunleavy and Bronson's behavior reminds me of my first few weeks at ACDA. Every Monday morning at ACDA, we would have a staff meeting, which would include briefings from our security and janitorial contractors. They'd recap the week's activities and crime reports. My very first staff meeting, I was speechless. Defecation in elevators, sex in stairwells, drug overdoses in bathrooms. And after that meeting, I thought to myself, well, you know, hey, at least it can't get any worse. However, the second week, it was even worse. Janitors getting propositioned for sex while cleaning the bathroom, security guards being assaulted, windows being shot out. And by the third staff meeting, we had already set up posts in the transit center where we could see firsthand the behavior getting more and more aggressive and alarming. That's how I feel doing this podcast for the last two months. But ladies and gentlemen, while we're so confused and outraged at the increasingly bizarre behavior, we've forgotten that government still needs to work. I know people don't necessarily like government, and in fact, many get elected beating the hell out of government. But the fact remains, we need a working government. With our primary focus and attention to the 10% of the iceberg we see in the form of Dunleavy and Bronson's failed leadership, the rest of the iceberg, the 90% you don't see, that's what makes the city and state work. Those are the hardworking employees that show up every day just to do their job as best they can. You can have a lousy governor or mayor, and you can get away with it if they leave the mechanics of government alone. But Dunleavy and Bronson are breaking the things that need to work, and this is not traditional conservatism. In order to understand this better, I think we need... Yeah, no, I don't think. I know. I know we need a history lesson. Yo, Van, one time with what you do. History lesson. On this day 15 years ago, I was running for governor of the great state of Alaska. Of course, the race featured myself, Sarah Palin, and Tony Knowles, and a cast of dozens. For nine months, I campaigned side-by-side with Sarah Palin and witnessed the first generation of Bronson and Dunleavy swept into office by populist appeal. In April 2006, Sarah Palin and I sat in a coffee shop at the Hotel Captain Cook discussing the previous night's debate in Fairbanks. The debate was sponsored by the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and it was on the state's agricultural industry. So Palin and I are having coffee, and she says to me, You know, Andrew, I see you at these debates, I hear all your facts and figures, and then I look out into the audience and I wonder if it really matters. Well, of course it matters, right? I mean, if you're running for governor and you have an interest in growing Alaska's agricultural markets, then knowing what drives the industry is, um, how would one say, it matters a hell of a lot. But this was Palin, and it had eventually proved to be her biggest downfall. She had no desire to govern and no desire to learn. But at least for the most part, she left government alone. However, today, with the next generation of Palin, they've gone from being disinterested in good government to breaking good government. They are breaking things that shouldn't and couldn't be broken. From separation of power squabbles to polluting commissions to recklessly changing financial formulas to ignoring state and local laws, these guys have put the wreck in reckless. I mean, seriously, if there are two dudes who need to check themselves before they wreck themselves, it's Dunleavy and Bronson. From the Christie Babcock's appointment to the Alaska Judicial Council and the attempting to rewrite several key investment formulas by Dunleavy, to Judy Elidge's nomination as head librarian and attempting to rewrite separation of powers by Bronson, these two have begun destroying more than just morale. This is the danger we don't realize. The business of government still has to get done, even though Dunleavy and Bronson appear intent on setting random fires. But unlike Palin, who got elected promising to change government, Dunleavy and Bronson got elected promising to dismantle government. 
as Governor Dunleavy said himself, his base is burn barrel Republicans who want government out of their lives. Bronson's base is exactly the same. This is exactly why Governor Dunleavy spends his valuable time on his taxpayer-funded podcast to bitch about President Joe Biden instead of explaining how come the state of Alaska under his leadership has been sitting on $95 million in federal funds for daycare since April. And oh, by the way, daycare centers are closing and Alaskans are desperate for child care while the economy suffers. This is also why the librarian position is a hill worth dying on for Bronson. Because instead of looking at a head librarian as someone who instills curiosity and learning, Bronson looks at the position as a gatekeeper to censor the spread of information. Think about this. Governor Dunleavy and Mayor Bronson have both had similar first hundred days in office. Both created more chaos in the first hundred days than most administrations have an entire term. Both have attacked accepted norms that were norms for both legal and moral reasons. And both have created incredibly low morale among their workforce in just months. Ladies and gentlemen, I say this as a lifelong Republican. Conservatives cannot govern. They've never been able to govern. In fact, I challenge you to name one conservative that could govern their way out of a wet paper bag. In fact, I can tell you honestly, after serving with a number of them for many years, I wouldn't trust them to run a lemonade stand. They're locked by rigid ideology. Few, like Dunleavy or Bronson, have practical experience in managing much of anything, let alone the state in the state's largest city. Think about Bronson for a moment. For 22 years, he was told when and where to show up for his job as an airplane pilot. And then once he did show up, everything in his job was done by the manual. The fact is, Bronson has never had a job managing people, let alone 9,000 people, and he has no ability to adapt and look at the world through more complex lenses. The danger of both Dunleavy and Bronson's continued medley of how low can we go moments is that we can easily forget that between the two of them, they manage 30,000 employees. The direction and tone from the top has a direct effect on what gets done and what doesn't. It has a direct effect on whether the state and city grow or whether they slide backwards. And if you're unsure what I'm saying, let me close with an example of how different styles of management produce different results. Earlier in this program, we mentioned Adam Trombley, Mayor Bronson's Director of Economic Development. Trombley, you will remember, gained fame earlier when on directions from Bronson, he unilaterally removed the protective barrier between angry and abusive testifiers in the Anchorage Assembly. This week, Trombley is back in the news by being named in a wrongful termination lawsuit after telling an employee the mayor owed a campaign promise, so she was out. So in the last 40 days, the guy who was supposed to be in charge of economic development for Anchorage is playing the role of Bronson's bag man. Now, ladies and gentlemen, would you like to know what Mayor Ethan Berkowitz's director of economic development was doing in his 40 days? I know, because I reported to him. He was putting together a 10-year tax exemption and working with the city's housing director to create the pieces for a new downtown housing project that would eventually become Elizabeth Place. That is how leadership works. That is how government is supposed to work. The problem with Dunleavy and Bronson is not only what they're doing, their failures on COVID, their failures on the economic recovery, their disregard for ethics and the rule of law. It's what they're not doing. And what they're not doing is making progress on any of the challenges that are widely recognized. Far-right conservatives cannot manage the business of government. 
In fact, it's difficult to point out one far-right conservative that has left anything but a trail of management lapses and failed promises and lawsuits. Dunleavy and Bronson are no exception to the rule, except their iteration is not satisfied with just limiting government. They want to dismantle it, and they want to dismantle it by turning Alaskans against their government, while at the same time turning Alaskans against each other. And now, let's talk about life. In Life Today, we welcome our own Maya Nolan Partnow, who has some last-minute Halloween costume ideas for all of our listeners. It's that time of year again, when parents everywhere are nursing glue gun burns, fighting with the tension on sewing machines, and frantically calling craft stores to find the last roll of whatever it is they need to finish their kids' Halloween costume. By the time the children are taken care of, who's got the energy to put together a costume of one's own? Especially when, if it's particularly clever half the people you encounter might not get it anyway. I remember one Halloween at the height of the Corrupt Bastards Club scandal when I turned a corner at a party attended mostly by baby attorneys and ran into then Anchorage Daily News reporter Megan Holland wearing an elaborate handmade representation of a hotel room door with the number 604. Bill Allen's suite at the Baranoff Hotel in Juneau. It was a spectacular costume, and I told her so. Thank you, she replied. She looked exasperated. Do you know how many people here I've had to explain it to? Did I mention we were the only two civilians at a party full of lawyers? The moral of the story, if there is one, is this. The cleverer your costume, the more times you're going to have to explain it to people. So you might as well make it as low effort as possible, especially since we are T-minus basically nothing until Halloween weekend and you're already wasting precious time listening to a podcast. With that in mind, here are a few of my suggestions for low effort, high concept Halloween costumes for Alaskans in the know. I'm a big fan of a topical costume, and somehow one of the biggest topics this year still is the Facebook group that's keeping the City of Lights and Flowers on its toes. For a costume some folks are sure to find scary, print out some of those viral Facebook posts, pin them to your clothes, and go as Save Anchorage. The beauty of this costume, beyond its simplicity, is its versatility. It can easily be customized based on your personal convictions. Pair it with a cardboard sword and shield, and you're a dauntless champion of personal liberty. Or don a crown and carry a yardstick, and voila! Mob rule. Looking for a group costume? Make sashes out of a few rolls of extra-wide white ribbon, pass around some animal ears headbands and pipe cleaner antlers, and form a kick line. You're no longer a group of lazy partygoers. You're Seymour and friends, and you are wild. Wild about Anchorage. Yeah, good luck getting that out of your head. Here's a costume that makes use of a pantry staple. Just wrap some tinfoil around your head hat style. And when people ask what you're supposed to be, remind them that Article 1, Section 22 of Alaska's Constitution protects your right to privacy. Need a quick post-work costume? Got a fleece jacket and a red necktie? Simply tuck some tissue paper flames around your ears for a spot-on interpretation of Governor Dunleavy reading Scott Kendall's Twitter feed. Finally, my simplest idea of all, just wear your normal clothes. But As you walk around, do squats and lunges going up and down like a roller coaster. You can tell people you're going as Alaska's economic future absent a long-range fiscal plan. Now that's scary. 
All right, let's talk some entertainment. From 1915 to 1970, an exodus of almost 6 million people changed the face of America. Millions of black Americans left the South to escape the brutality of the Jim Crow laws and find safety, better pay, and more freedom in what is known today as the Great Migration. This is the story of the decades-long migration of black citizens who fled the South for northern and western cities in search of a better life. The book is entitled Warmth of Other Suns. It's written by Isabel Wilkerson. The book checks in at 604 pages. This is a profound book. In the book, Wilkerson compares this epic migration to the migrations of other peoples in history. She interviewed more than a thousand people to write this dramatic account of how these American journeys unfolded, altering our cities and our cultures. This is one of those books when you come to the end and you turn that final page, you are forced to take a deep breath. This is a must read. Once again, the book is entitled The Warmth of Other Suns. It's available in paperback and audio, and I highly, highly recommend this book. In closing comments, it's time to check in on Alaska's U.S. Senate race and see what story Kelly Shabaka is selling Alaska this week. As you'll remember, Shabaka moved to Alaska in 2019 to run against our current U.S. Senator, Lisa Murkowski. The last time we heard from Shabaka, she had been found guilty of lying about her residency to obtain an Alaskan fishing license. So if lying on a fishing license in Alaska isn't as close to a cardinal sin as possible, Shabaka is now selling another myth. My friend Dermot Cole, who writes at DermotCole.com, has a fascinating story about how a brief stay in a tent during pipeline construction by Shabaka's parents has turned into Kelly Shabaka's personal homeless-to-Harvard narrative. Now, as Cole points out, in 1975, a lot of people who came to Alaska seeking opportunity slept in tents. And he also points out that Shabaka's parents were highly educated with advanced degrees. But more to Shabaka's homeless-to-Harvard story— You might remember the real story of the girl from homeless to Harvard. During the 1990s, Liz Murray grew up in a dysfunctional family in the Bronx. Her mother and father were both drug addicts who could barely take care of themselves. At 15, her parents unable to care for her. Murray was placed in foster care before moving in with a sexually abusive grandfather. After her mom died of age, she found the strength to become a star student and eventually earned a scholarship to Harvard through an essay contest sponsored by the New York Times. Ladies and gentlemen, I have met Liz Murray. I spent an hour interviewing her on my first talk radio program back in 2003 when she came up to speak to a local Rotary Club. Liz Murray was humble, kind, and very mindful about the need for compassion for those struggling with life. I have met Liz Murray, and Kelly Shabaka is no Liz Murray. Kelly Shabaka using a homeless to Harvard story is a transparent attempt to make her appear as someone who pulled herself up from her brute straps when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. Her parents staying for a brief period in a tent during the peak of pipeline construction, which, oh, by the way, was during the worst housing shortage in Anchorage's history, does not qualify as a homeless to Harvard story. It qualifies as a tight rental market story. Shabaka's continued desperation to rebrand herself as something she is not should be viewed as an alarming pattern of behavior. First, she tries to paint herself as an Alaskan on her fishing license and gets fined for lying. 
Now she's calling herself a homeless to Harvard story when in fact she had stops at Texas A&M. She interned for United States Senator Ted Stevens and then got accepted to Harvard Law. No doubt a recommendation letter from the highly respected and Harvard alumnus Senator Stevens helped in the admissions review process. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen, but that sounds more like a Washington, D.C. to Harvard story, not a homeless to Harvard story. Liz Murray's parents were not highly educated. Liz Murray did not graduate from a top university. Liz Murray did not intern for a legend in the United States Senate. Kelly Shabaka may be many things. Carpetbagger, political opportunist, political grifter. But one thing Kelly Shabaka is not... Kelly Shabaka is no homeless to Harvard story, and she's certainly no substitute for the integrity, honor, and leadership of Alaska's current U.S. Senator, Lisa Murkowski. And there is the closing music, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what that means. Our time is up here today, but please remember, our podcasts are new every Thursday. You can subscribe to them on your favorite platform, or you can check them out every week on the Anchorage Daily News website. Van, how about throwing us your details to your website? Sure. If you'd like to uh, check out my website, please go to abodabobrand.com, A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, and you can see more about my work and reach out to me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our time. And as always, we thank you for yours. 